You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Mike Pretz, Kat Kalin, Jason Dickinson, and Brian Colt. On, on this podcast, I thought it would be really cool. Scott and I are on here, and uh, what we thought we'd talk about is a little bit of a topic around promotions. We, we hear a lot of time uh, individuals, both in the private sector, but I've also heard it within the military, wondering why they were passed over or what are some of the things that they need to do to prepare for um, actually getting into a uh, you know a promotional opportunity. And and what I found is that they're, what they're really not focusing on, um, Scott, is uh, – their return on investment, as I would call it. And it it started having me pitch, especially to this one individual that I was talking to that had been with one company for a, a long period of time. And uh, I related that to him. I said, listen, every day you're out there looking and doing cost-benefit analysis and you're evaluating other organizations or whether you're going to do a specific project or initiative and you're doing the return on investment analysis to see if it's going to be worth the value and the time that you're going to put into it. But what you don't think about is the things that, you should be evaluating like you do the business. Like for one thing, how do you measure your strengths? What are the, what are the strengths that you bring to the table or how do you differentiate yourself from others? What sets you apart so that, you know, someone would actually want to invest the time in you uh, and the effort and energy to want to make it work and want to promote you. Great points. And, and it's an awesome question because at Christmas time, right? Everybody's looking at Christmas bonuses. Everybody's looking at promotions. Everybody's looking at, you know, raises and everything else. But, you know, what have you done for the organization? What have you done for the company? And, and everybody says, well, I work my 40 hours a week plus I work 60 hours a week. I do that. But what is the organization getting out of that? And, and I think that, you know, SF guys by, by default get it. You know, soft imperative number one, humans are more important than hardware. But how do you invest in, in humans the, the right way? And it's, it's often misunderstood that, that people think that, you know, what a, a special forces team or what a special forces career or life cycle looks like. And, and they're most often shocked that ROI and the human capital that we have throughout the, the units in the organization has to be developed. It has to be matured. And we have to recognize that just graduating the Q course or graduating university or graduating an MBA program or whatever, that's not your final step in life. You have to continuously grow and continuously show that you're offering more and more to the org so that the ROI is more established and confirmed. I love the way you described it as human capital because I think that's exactly uh, how somebody should evaluate themselves. I mean, you you are human capital to the organization. So when you think about capital expenditures or you're thinking about what to invest in, that's exactly what I'm describing. And when uh, organizations are looking at um, how much time should I invest, how much money and effort. And so people talk about, I need to go to this school or I need to go to that school or this type of training or that type of training. The organization is automatically going to start thinking, okay, what am I going to get out of it? What is the value you're going to bring? Bring back to the organization that pays back what you just did. And the same thing applies when I start looking at you of promotion. What are the many things that you've done to differentiate yourself from someone else that makes me think of you as somebody that I value more and I, I want to spend invest more time. I want to invest more money into. It is human capital because, you know, one of the things that people don't never realize is that if we're not deployed for operations in special forces, we're deployed for training because we invest in our human capital all the time. And in civilian organizations, we don't have that same type of mentality. We don't have that same ethos to where we want to grow our, our people. And yet we see those who do that really well, the Dave Ramsey's, the John, you know, uh, Patrick Lencioni's, the John Maxwell's, and Jim Collins of the world, right? And good to great, Jim Collins says, people, first people, 
first who, then what. Yes. You know, so if you get the right people on board and you invest in the right human capital, then you're going to be successful. And But we fail to realize as individuals what that looks like to the greater organization. Because if you work your butt off and you sit at your desk, and, and we all know people like this who kind of, you know, what I call retired in place, you might put in 50 hours a week. But if your bosses know that you're surfing Facebook the whole time or just updating your LinkedIn status and liking all the posts and whatever, that's not best for the organization. And you're not going to be as attractive to somebody else. So one of the things that I tell people, like, look, and they say, Scott, what makes you successful? What's like your background? What's the one thing for myself? I'm like, work harder than anybody else. Like, just work harder and do more than anybody else. And that is what will pay off in the long run. It still goes to the same thing as it relates to, like, say, even mentoring. Why do I want to spend my time? What you know? Why do I want to give uh, the effort and everything to try to help you achieve specific goals or do certain things? And, and a lot of times when you're actually trying to find a mentor or a coach or somebody like that that can help you, they're really trying to size you up in the very beginning to determine whether or not the time and effort and energy they're going to apply to you is going to be paid back in some way. And it's not necessarily through money uh, that we're talking about. I'm talking about more about, are you really going to apply some of the stuff that I'm trying to share? And I know even as uh, NCOs and officers in the military, the same thing is true when you're actually trying to um, find those junior people that you want to see who are the hot and upcomers and everything that within your organization and whether or not they're wanting to be a sponge and actually grow themselves or if they're an individual that's in it for themselves and what what are the reasons why they're wanting to do this and how much time are they really going to spend and are they just going to be somebody that wants to on a surface understand specific things so they can move on and do something else uh, or are they really trying to learn to its fullest degree and that's what I mentioned uh, before about when people uh, are looking at why they want to, uh, how much time they want to give you, or or uh, try to help you get better, they want to see how you're wanting to differentiate yourself from others as well. Exactly, and I think it comes down to you know teamwork, right? And if every I look at everything through the lens of of building a team. In fact, I think I said that about I told you yesterday I was on the phone by noon, I was on the phone for almost six and a half hours. So, and I must have said building a team, building a team, building a team about. 58, 60 times in, the, in those six hours. I mean, and that's exactly, so understanding that teamwork is is a necessary evil and, and being part of a team, but it's an honest appraisal, right? And this is one that most people fail. Being self-aware enough to say how you fit in the team versus how you think you fit in the team or what yeah. you perceive Great you point. fit in the team. Like, because so many people think that they're amazing team players and they're horrific and we want nothing to do with them because they're a nice person or they bring bunt cake to work every Tuesday and they take up a space and they do the bare minimum. And so they're happy to let everybody else carry the weight for them. That's not a contributing team member. They think that they're hunky dory. Everything's fine. They're in line for the next promotion, their management material, their leadership, their whatever. And in fact, they're just barely tolerated from the rest of the, the people within the organization because they're not a good team player. So, you know, we, we do things like 360 reviews and reflections, right? And getting that look up from everybody. And those things are valuable because that demonstrates what your actual ROI being trained is. And, and as a former consultant, I used to look at clients and go, I can't help you. 
because I can't help you in 90 days or six months or whatever because I'm an energetic, passionate guy and I'm going to build a plan. And then for the next 89, 88 days, I'm going to be dragging you, kicking and screaming behind me just to have you not want to do anything. And all you're looking for is a feel good that you write a check to have a consultant help you do stuff and build a plan. Like you can afford to hire the SF guy to come in and build your business. And I saw it time and time again. So I got very quick at not realize or realizing the lack of ROI to potential client and realizing that in the same 90 days, all that was going to happen was I was going to drag them kicking and screaming. They weren't going to realize the growth that I knew they were capable of because of their laziness or apathy or ineptitude, whatever. But at the end of that time, they were just going to bash me for not getting them to where they thought they should be. And, and it was kind of a self-licking lollipop that I just said, I'm not playing that game anymore. I'm not doing that because you're untrainable. I'm going to try and put it back into a different way, too. If you're looking at it from, let's say, NFL scouts uh, or even high school, you know, if Mike were on here and joined us, he would have been talking about from a, a perspective of a coach and evaluating uh, certain personnel and, and where they're, uh, they're, they're best suited and all those types of things on an NFL team. They even go through personal assessments to see not only are they going to fit within a specific uh, area of the team that's going to be a major contributor at a high level, but they're also trying to see if they're going to fit – within the culture of the organization and they're going to be somebody that's in it for themselves or they're going to be somebody that's more of a team player. Now for the NFL, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit different because it's more of a, uh, a business in that uh, in the business, they're tr not only uh, really trying to find out what the skills and talents are and whether or not they're going to have any problem children necessarily on their hands. Um, and, and they don't care so much if it's a me, me, me in a lot of cases, as long as they just win you know, so it might be a little bit different in that regard. But uh, when, when you start looking at it from the military perspective, it could be the same way. And when you go through especially soft type training, a lot of times they may be assessing uh, part of the reason why it's called SFAS is because it's supposed to be an assessment selection. And so they should be evaluating the individuals to see through ranger school or through uh, special forces training or uh, PJ or anything that you're going into. Uh, whether or not this individual is going to be able to maintain this high level at all times and is going to be willingly uh, going uh, willingly going to accept challenges every time they come around the corner and uh, and those types of things. So again, they're assessing the individuals to see if they have that wherewithal to meet that specific requirement. The same thing applies for everything within life, whether you're trying to go for a promotion, whether you're wanting to attend a, spe a specific school or training and you're asking uh, for somebody to take the time or money to do that, whether you're looking for a mentor or coach, it all applies the same way. It absolutely does. hundred percent agree with you. And, you know, in short, what BUDS or the Q course or SFAS or, you know, the things like Hell Week or, or anything, any assessment and selection phase to any special forces, you know, uh, the Ranger indoctrination program or RASP or whatever it is now, I'm not, I'm not sure. All those programs are designed to find out to a high level of standard if you're trainable and if that ROI of investing the massive amounts. I had, I had somebody when I was leaving government employee look back over my career and go, Scott, do you know how many millions of dollars the U.S. government has spent training you in all the courses and, and skills and stuff that you've been trained in? And I went, yeah, I do. And, you know, I think I've been a good steward of that and given back, you know, a, a dozen years of my life to, to repay that. But if, if I wasn't worth the ROI of that, they need to find that as quick as possible, which is why in the SF world or in the soft world, we always say maintain standards. And if you look at any forum about, you know, anything, you know, um, new SF units, incorporating new, you know, genders in SF units, incorporating whatever. All the arguments are always 
maintaining standards so that that ROI can be realized, safeguarding the organizational objectives, which are the running and the operational guidance, you know, operational necessities that we have around the globe. But dial that back in the civilian markets, we we hire typically in the civilian world to, to solve a problem and, and just, oh, God, we got this massive void in, in bookkeeping, so we need to hire a bookkeeper, and this person's cost-effective and whatever. Well, just because they're cost-effective doesn't mean that they're the right person. To, and bookkeeping is a bad example because they're yeah. kind of extraneous normally. But in the operations department or in sales or in whatever, if they don't align to that culture within – you're doing more harm than good. You're, you're putting a Band-Aid on the problem and you're allowing the wound to fester underneath that Band-Aid. It's covered. It looks pretty, but it's, it's gangrenous on the inside because <laughs> there's a lot of other stuff going on that's really detrimental to the organization. And yet we all read these books about it. You know, Jocko Willink writes about it, you know, and, and uh, Stanley McChrystal writes about it, Dave Ramsey and, and all the authors I mentioned, right? And we all read them and we all quote them. And then we feel a little bit of pain and we want to put a Band-Aid on it because we, we have to put a Band-Aid on it real fast organizationally. And, and it's the wrong answer. It's one thing as a leader to assess the talent around you, but as an individual, recognizing the fact that an investment is being made on you and um, trying to make sure that you live up to, as you said, the standards that have now been set or the new the new floor, as I like to call it. So everybody kind of recognizes where their floor is. A lot of times we don't really understand where our ceiling is at. And when you do go through um, sometimes uh, different types of elite training or specialized training, you're earning a new skill set or something like that at any time, whether it's in the private sector or not, uh, or in the, uh, the military. You're essentially now establishing a new floor within that skill set. And in some cases, depending upon the level of the training, you're going to be understanding what your ceiling is, what your maximum capabilities are. And especially if it's in those type of elite forces, they're going to push you to the limit so that you understand what your limitations are or what you believe to be your previous limitations and how far you can go. A lot of times those individuals really understand because of the grueling um, landscape and things that they end up doing throughout that training how much has been invested in them to get to where they are? Because as your point, you invested that much time yourself back into it. When you just go through some of the standard training, either through college or uh, on-the-job training and stuff within your uh, your employment out here in the private sector, or you just go through the basic training and advanced training from military skill sets, you may still not know really, just through basic training, your true ceiling. And, and understand truly what's been invested, and, and that may be part of the reason why you're not recognizing that the frustration of others who are looking at you wondering why you don't see that type of thing. And if you, if you take micro snapshots and, and you think of somebody's ceilings as a culmination of a micro snapshot, then you're, you're a pretty horrific leader, right? Because if I were to – I'm, I'm a great example, and this is really personal for me as well because if you were to look at me at the end of basic training – and I, I kicked ass in basic training. Like I, I, I didn't enjoy it for the most part because you know it was, it's not meant to be enjoyed per se, but it was, it was, it was good training for Benny, and, and I, I took it fully on board. Having said that, if you were to ask my drill sergeants at the end of basic training, you know, six weeks of, you know, OSIT, you know, one station unit training, including basic AIT at Fort Benning, like what my ceiling was, I don't think anybody within that drill sergeant's command, you know, Delta 254 or whatever, would have said, 
that dude's going to end up not only being in fifth special forces group on in a good, you know, well-received member of an ODA, but he's also going to leave there and culminate as a GS 13 special programs manager under DOD running seven official. So, so comp programs or record, right? Like none of them would have said that was my ceiling. And that even, that's not my ceiling. That doesn't define me. Those are positions that I achieved on my travels in life so far. But if you look at people through the micro lenses of stages and where they go, we have this false expectation of how far they can go from that. And in the SF world, you get a blank check when you start SF training. When you get through selection and you're in your MOS phase, I was a private first class in, in my MOS phase. And, and I had three people in my class. Um, we maxed out the scores on Calcum Place for the 18 Charlie course, um, which is bomb placement, whatever. Um, and it was unheard of before. Three PFCs maxed out the scores in Calcum Place. And I had E7s in my course. It didn't do the same thing. So again, that's not my ceiling. I was never going to be a master 18 Charlie. I mean, I was proficient in my job for sure. But they are great at empowering you, which is why you probably heard me on 15 different podcast episodes use the word empower. Because once you understand with somebody's, you understand that ROI that somebody's capable of delivering back on the investment you put into them and you empower them, you you find their strengths and you empower those strengths and you cut them loose to do what they're, they uniquely are capable of doing. That's when you start to really achieve individual excellence and that collaboratively with the right team in the organization contributes to cultural excellence and organizational excellence as a, as a, as a whole. So let's hit on that about a leader because we touched on just a little bit and you kind of mentioned it about how to assess and find those individuals within your organization. I mean, certainly everybody thinks they can assess personnel, um, but I think uh, sometimes you have introverts and they may be a little bit different than extroverts and how they portray how well they're grasping information or how well uh, or how excited maybe they want to move on to something new uh, and exciting. So as a leader, you have to be able to assess those individuals so that you can truly mentor them and inspire them in different ways to try to reach new ceiling heights and try to attain uh, new new boundaries or, or, you know, go beyond what they believe to be and invest the time and effort and stuff into those individuals. And then you have the individuals on the other side of the spectrum that are not that way, whether they're extrovert or introvert, you've got to be able to assess quickly how to identify those individuals that no matter how much time, effort, and energy you put into it, you're going to get absolutely nothing or little out of it. Mentors for military podcast, right? So I'll tie this to transition and, and mentoring for military stuff. And it boggles my mind if civilian, civilian Australia, civilian America, civilian wherever, use the same hiring practices and selection criteria as U.S. military. And this is why if you if military officers aren't highlighting this as far as their transition into global whatever civilian jobs, it boggles my mind, right? Imagine if corporate whatever around the world said, you, Robert, you're a, you're a man, you're the sales manager of the sales department for this GE, whatever. You have zero visibility in who we're going to bring into your organization. You just got to make the best of what we give you. We, the command, we outside of your command have decided who's coming into your organization. You don't get to see them, interview them, because that's what happens in the military, right? People graduate courses, they come to units. The yeah. units, the yeah. leaders get new people, whatever. And so if you're a battalion commander, you have zero say in who comes to your battalion 99% of the time. And yet successful battalion commanders in grunt or admin or logistical or whatever units 
take those tools that they're given, take that mound of Play-Doh that they're given and start molding it. And, you know, I, I keep telling everybody, if you give me a centimeter or an um, inch of Play-Doh, I can't do very much with that, right? Like I can't mold that anything more than a ball or a small stick or something. But if you give me a mound of Play-Doh and that's a person and I can start molding that thing, I can make the Statue of Liberty if you give me enough Play-Doh, right, and enough time. I'm not now I know what to get to you for Christmas. I didn't realize yeah, you knew one of Play-Doh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a simple knuckle dragon man. That's what I, that's I guess so. I Specific color or anything, Scott? Yeah. Uh, as long as it's edible and I can chew on it, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, and that makes perfect sense, and I think you're right. And in the case of the individual that I re- referenced in the very beginning, this is an individual that stayed with one organization, never really got out and experienced other cultures or other teams or let's say even industries for that matter to see and be able to balance what their true baseline is or where they needed to grow. And so to this day, they don't have uh, any formal education besides high school. Not to say that's a bad thing, but uh, at certain levels within the private sector, you're going to be expected to have a college education or you're not going to move too far in a lot of larger companies, especially because it's kind of ticking the box. You know, you've got to be able to do that. And not only that, but it also starts opening your eyes through the education of how economics works and how organizations are run and how um, not only free trade occurs within an economy, uh, but how organizations and businesses play within that. And you know why it's ticking a box? Because organizations want you to have to do the general studies and then the minor and then the major and all the other stuff to show that you're more well, more well-rounded, that you have some other, that you've taken a basket weaving course or an introduction to philosophy or that you've That you've done, done something to grow. That, yeah. Something to grow. And, and everybody goes like, oh, well, that's just a waste of four years. I, I, did, I did 20 years in the military. I don't, I don't need that. And I'm going... I know you did a lot, but that's exactly why it's a tick in the box. I'm not endorsing, you know, I don't celebrate that having a degree is is a uh, a hurdle for many people. Like that's that's not cool. But it's it's what the organization wants to see. They want to see that you applied yourself over a four year time. And military people have done this all all the time. But you applied yourself. You did several different. You know, you achieved your 120 hours. You you did your electives. You did all your stuff, and and you sat through a bunch of different stuff, and you you were well rounded at the end of that. And the fact that you refused to do that over 20 years of a civilian career, embrace any type of out, outside external learning almost shows, again, an apathetic approach to developing yourself. It's the same. That, that's it right there. It's the same thing that applies. Now, we're talking about a corporation where you're wanting to go within the ladder of, let's say, a more administrative type of function or manufacturing or whatever the case may be. But you can apply this to you're going to go out and work for a cable company. You're going to work for an electric company. You're going to work for whatever. Um, in those cases, the same thing applies. You've got to go out there and constantly get some type of level of training that makes you more and more proficient and more well-rounded, and your the depth and breadth of your knowledge is very deep, you know, and very wide. And and I've mentioned that before in other podcast episodes, but it's so true. If you're not constantly trying to hone your skill and try to make yourself better, and I don't care whether you're in the military or in the private sector, if you're not doing that and honing in your craft, then people are going to look at you and say, why should I then invest my time and energy and effort? And why should you grow then into more senior leadership roles if you're not being somebody that would inspire others or that they want to emulate? Because you haven't done those things and apply that type of thing yourself. You don't just get to get promoted these days just based on time. You know, you spend 10 years in something that automatically means you now get the transition. In the military, you know, you get that up to, let's say, E3, you might make automatic. But at some point, 
you've got to start doing something. In some branches, it's taking a test and going in front of boards. In others, it might be boards or 201 files or records that goes, whatever the case may be, or a combination thereof. But the truth is you can't get away with just trying to do it and flying by the seat of your pants and thinking somebody's going to give you a handout. And the competitive landscape has never been more competitive than, than right now, and it's only getting more competitive by the day. Everybody has a voice. Social media, you know, we're recruiting outside. I mean, I'm a great example right now, right? I'm recruiting trainers and stuff for U.S. operations from Australia, and it's seamless because of technology and everything else, right? So it's whereas in the day, if I was in New York looking for a New York role, I'd have to compete against New Yorkers, and that might be plentiful or, or, or not so, depending on the metropolitan areas, right? But now it's truly global. Universities are global. Uh, schools are global. Competitive, it's competitive like it's never been competitive before. And, and I see this firsthand as a parent because I have a 14-year-old that I'm looking to get into a competitive university in the next four years and have him thrive and do that. And he's being looked at not just against peers in a university, state university system, but in a global competitive environment. And it's only going to get worse. And so when you sit in a role and you have matured in that role and you're highly proficient in that role, that's one checkbox. But there's multiple checkbox. Uh, where can you take that role? Where can you take the organization? Entire organizations are shifting strategies and finding new marketplaces and doing whatever out of necessity. It's not because they just feel like they need to waste money or spin their wheels for it. But if entire industries are shifting because of technological advances, you have to demonstrate that you can keep up with that shift and maintain the, the the currency with them. It used to be acceptable 10 years ago. Well, I don't know how to operate that PC or I don't know how to send an email. I don't know how to do whatever. But can you imagine executives saying that now? Can you imagine anybody that in any industry that I know saying like, oh, I never use a computer. Like, I, I wouldn't do that. I mean, unless you have a team of executive assistants that are highly proficient at doing your stuff for you and you're a b billionaire, I don't know how that works for you. Yeah. And, you know, it's uh, interesting, too, because I'm going to play devil's advocate here because you're going to probably have some listeners that are going to say, well, Scott, Robert, uh, let's be real. I've, I've been approached by leadership that says um, that I spend too much time in training, that I'm going out trying to get all kinds of trinkets, that I spend too much time away from my troops and that I'm not actually applying myself as a leader um, because I've spent too much time doing that. And I've actually seen leaders that came to me and, and told me that, hey, you know, if I go to college and I go beyond as an enlisted person, say a bachelor's degree, uh, then I may start, it may, in certain occupations, MOSs, they, they will start frowning upon it because then they say that you spent too much time in school and not enough time leading your troops. Well, I say you need to understand your audience first and what the culture is within those types of uh, areas for sure. But you also have to think long-term vision and think about yourself. What is your passion or purpose and where are you going to in the future? And um, try to balance that act as much as possible between the two. Now, if you're in a, a person that's constantly putting in paperwork to go to every school under the sun because you want a chest full of trinkets and a trophy case as you walk around that's a little bit different i'm not trying to i don't think we're, we're saying that but i think there has to be some level where you have to demonstrate that you're very proficient and you're very up to date in your particular skill set or in the markets or whatever the case may be so that you can impart that knowledge onto your team and and build up others because that's what leaders do and but not to the point to where you feel like that's all you're going to do is for the next 10 years is go between bachelor's degree, master's degree. Uh, and, and mind you, some 
some branches, the officers can actually go away for a number of years and go to college, and then they do a payback by a number of years as well. So I'm I'm trying to, to state it in all that framework uh, as well as in the private sector because sometimes it could be frowned upon. I think that's where you have to know your audience. Well, you have to understand where your own individual desires to better yourself um, and educate and train yourself to justify that ROI. It can't impact operations. You know, I mean, and if you are that person to where you're putting yourself and the needs, your needs above the needs of the many, you're not a good leader. And you're not a good team player overall. I mean, you know, um, and, and I've got a perfect scenario, again, personal to me right now. I'm looking at starting an MBA program here in Australia um, in, in 2018. Now, all well and good, you know, whatever. If, if I were to tell my, my bosses that, why can't I make this next seven-week U.S. trip that's solely my responsibility because I have MBA classes coming up for my own betterment? they're not going to have very much time and energy to hear that argument, right? I mean, you know, that's putting my needs above what I've committed to and the needs of the organization because um, I'm uniquely situated to do the U.S. operational stuff right now. Um, if you're putting your needs over the, the overall overarching goals of the organization and what that is, then that's just wrong. And you need to do a self-reflective look in the mirror and realize that you're not the person that you think you was. Again, how you contribute to the team versus how you think you contribute to the team. And none of that, but your importance to the team versus what you think your importance to the team is. Because some people truly are, you can't you can't live without them. And, and every organization has some of those people. And if you're lucky enough to be one of them, awesome. It's a great feeling to be a person that's uniquely relied upon. If you think that you're that person and you're not, then you're setting yourself for absolute failure because they're never gonna realize and put the, the investment into you that you think the ROI demands because there is no return on investment. They know that you're self-serving and that you're gonna jump the first time that you can jump ship to go elsewhere. And I see that a lot in the conventional side. I'm not gonna train you in that because you're just gonna take that and go to selection, go to SF and better SF. All right, well, that's a micro look at the whole army objectives, right? I mean, you're bettering a troop to go and better other troops and impact global operations. So you've got to, it's a scale and you've got to right size it. But if you're that person and you're being that selfish, then then you're pretty wrong overall. Yeah, I would totally agree. And, and I would even say within the private sector, you'll see some of the same things. You'll be evaluated. You have to evaluate yourself. You have to evaluate your environment that you're in to make sure it's going to be applicable and that it's not going to cause some kind of negative um, reaction or something of that nature. But um, for the most part, if you balance it correctly, I don't think anybody's going to start limit, limiting you or um, holding you back from wanting to grow, especially if you present it in such a way, I think as we're describing here, that it's, a, it's adding value back to the organization. And I can tell you that many times when I've gone to my superiors, as I've gone through either the military or the private sector and said, hey, I think this could be a really good uh, benefit, I never presented it as for me, it's for, for me. the or the organization, and I think this is how I can then come back and provide, or I can use that, or, and it's not to the point of it's about me, me, me. I am but the vehicle of change. Uh, I am receiving the training so that I can incorporate that training throughout. Right, and so one of the things on my ODA that we used to do, and it was awesome. And, and we went to as divergent amount of schools as you can imagine. Anything from lockpicking, the driving, to free fall, to anything in there, right? I mean, advanced mapping systems, I mean, to whatever. But every time anybody on my ODA came back to that team room, you were responsible within a calendar week of putting together a formal training session and briefing the entirety of the team that was there on what you just learned. And then the next step was, 
applying that in the next training exercises, training evolution, because if you couldn't justify the why that you were doing that and your attention to that information, you were wrong again, because you had to incorporate that and apply that. And it screwed me over. I went to one advanced mapping thing and then we went to run an exercise and I was trying to incorporate all this ArcGIS mapping and the stuff and I didn't have all the tools and, and it took me about 18 extra hours a day to do what normally took me about two hours a day to do. And so I didn't have the time to do. And so I had to look back at everybody and go, it's not my lack of retention, guys. It's this stuff is not the tool that we thought it was. I've been trained in it. So you have to be both the good messenger and the bad messenger. And then sometimes you have to write off that ROI. There is no ROI in the training that you receive. But you have to be cognizant enough to be able to look at everybody else and go, complete waste of time. Waste of time and waste of money. Like it was not worth it. Check the box and move on. Because if you're not doing that as well. You know, I also look at it as if you start asking the question, why haven't I, uh, whether it's why haven't I been promoted? Um, why haven't I been recognized for an award? Why haven't, whatever the case may be, you're automatically putting the I into the equation at the very beginning. And if you're starting to ask that question, you're spending way too much energy, time, and effort focusing on the wrong thing. You haven't done the proper due diligence and homework to assess yourself and the things that we've talked about here. And don't, don't think that for a second that other leaders around you who are assessing you haven't already seen that within you, especially if you've actually expressed that to those leaders and said, hey, listen, I, you know, the last three times we've met on our quarterly reviews or whatever reviews, I've mentioned to you that I, I still don't understand why I haven't been promoted. You know, I, I, I've been looking for a raise and, you know, I, I, we've talked about this. We, the last time we talked was a year ago. If you're doing those types of things, I don't think it's because your leaders are lazy and they've just got so much going on that they're not taking the time to do that for you. I think they pretty much, whether they've stated it outright or not, they're expressing to you most likely that you haven't shown the ROI or the ability to understand the investment or you aren't presented in such a way of how you're going to add value back to the organization. You're focusing on you, you, you. And once you start doing that in any frame – you know, whether it's in the very beginning or over a long period of time, and especially if it's over a long period of time, then they're going to start losing a lot of confidence in you. When everybody's in office space, right? So when the Bobs come to your company and they sit you down at the conference table and go, what exactly is it that you do here? And you start finding yourself, you know, tap dancing around and trying to justify your existence. Yeah. Not a good answer, you know? And, and so that's what I tell people all the time, right? I'm like, look, the Bobs are real, and the Bobs live in every leadership and every manager above you, and they know the answer to that question already because they see you from different levels, higher and, and lateral, adjacent, subordinate, whatever. But everybody has an answer to that question, whether you're a secretary and you're looking at your boss and you put the Bobs in your head and go, what exactly does my boss do here every day? You know the answer to that. Everybody knows the answer to that question when the Bobs, your internal Bobs ask it. You've just got to be able to actually – you want to be the person – the person with the highest ROI is a person that the Bobs never materialize and have to ask that because when you sit down with the Bobs, they go, oh, man, we know exactly what you do here, and it is fantastic. Yeah. Like, if it's that transparent through everybody, you're going to get you're going to be judged as worthy of the return on investment because, again, competition is fierce, but that's competition for resources, for finances, for people, for placement, for training, for advancement, for anything. So competition is only getting worse, and as you rise in that pyramid – it's only getting more narrow at the top, right? So if you want to float at the top, you've got to be the guy that when they look at you, they go, man, Scott, we know exactly what you do here, and we are absolutely thankful that you're here, and we want to reward you for being here. 
then you never have to ask yourself, like, why haven't I been promoted? Why haven't I done anything? And yeah. it really is that easy. When I tell people that I will work harder than anybody else, it really is that easy. Have a work ethic, quit clock watching, quit figuring out what's in it for you, put the team first, and then grow the team, and you'll be the guy that your bosses come to for promotions, hands down, because it works. It's a proven model. My dad once told me, and my dad, I admire my dad more than almost anybody I met in my life. And he once told me, he's like, hey, Scott, nobody's ever going to get rich working 40 hours a week. So I know Tim Ferriss would disagree, but nobody's ever going to get rich working 40 hours a week. I did have an experience very uh, recently where very similar to what I was talking about before came to me and uh, asked, you know, hey, I've been asking for a while, uh, a while within the company why I haven't been promoted. And, you know, I, I've been looking for that and I've been trying to, to grow within the organization, but I'm just not being seen. The first thing I said to him is, well, that's because you're spending too much time and energy on that. You have to be able to be very blunt and forward with them and let them know if you're spending so much time doing that, then that ought to answer your question right there. Uh, you're not looking introspectively at yourself. You're not challenging yourself. That's your priority. That is your priority. Absolutely. Your priority isn't growing the team. It's growing yourself. And it's transparent. Again, everybody knows that. Or trying to make me aware of that. Yeah, and and if you're trying to convince me, then that's where you're failing because I shouldn't need to be convinced. I should already and know and see it, and that's I what we're talking about. shouldn't need to be convinced. If you're in the position where you're trying to convince somebody – and I used to be a contracting officer at MARSOC, right? And I had different defense contracting companies work for me, some obviously better than others. But I would sit down with the contractors when they showed up for work, and I'd be like, look, I know you're getting a hell of a paycheck, and I don't care, right? Like you're a contractor. You've done your job. You've retired from the military already. Like, God bless you. You're getting while well, getting is good. But if you ever look in the mirror daily and think like, I am really just get, raping the U.S. government and getting good while they're getting is good and, and having the time of my life right now, probably not going to last for too long. Yeah, no. If you're looking in the – if that's once in a while, then all right, fine. Everybody gets one over once in a while, right? But when if that scale tips to one side of – you know, if you just look at yourself in the mirror weekly and go, I have earned that magnificent paycheck this week. You don't have to say like or, I'm or daily. Beyond. Yeah, I'm not asking you to do like the civilian equivalent in the contracting world of like earning the Medal of Honor or anything, right? Like you don't have to sacrifice yourself or, or bleed for the company. But if you just look at yourself every day and go, I've earned my paycheck for the day, then your superiors are going to know that and your equals and your peers are going to know that. But when you're the guy that looks at yourself and goes, I haven't earned my paycheck in six months. This is great. I love this job. I've never given up. <laughs> yeah, not too good. They know that as well. That's yeah. also not good. And they're looking to get rid of you. I promise. Somebody somewhere is looking to get rid of you because it is a competitive landscape. Yeah. Absolutely. And what we just talked about, we didn't even get into uh, for sake of time, but I mean, we could take this down a different path as well. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, but I'm not going to go work somewhere else. I'm going to start my own company. Well, get ready, strap it on because everything we just talked about is 10 times what we just talked about. You've got to assess yourself daily. You've got to push yourself to the highest limits. You better understand return on investment, cost benefit analysis, and how to assess yourself, hold yourself accountable, and uh, or you're not even going to survive. Get a project management certification while you're at it because you're going to need to learn project management yeah and when you go to a bank and ask for money to borrow money and stuff don't think they're not going to ask these tough questions about you and how why it is they should invest in you and your organization so um, I, I don't care what the level of job and work is and you've got to convince other people as well when you're trying to get them as customers this very same thing why should i come to you over this other organization why should i buy from you why are your products better you better understand these types of basic fundamentals of differentiating yourself from others how to measure yourself and hold yourself accountable 
um, how to measure your strengths and weaknesses in that, understand why somebody should want to invest the time in you. And uh, then not only that, but as a leader, how to understand how to do this very same thing for members of your team so that you can then coach and mentor them as well. I, I blew a girl away on, on Veterati. I mentor on Veterati as well. And she called and she's, this is my plan. You know, thank you, Mr. Kinder. I'm like, first of all, Mr. Kinder's my dad, you know, but um, it, it, let me see your plan. And we talked for a while. And then she said, what, what advice would you give me? And I'm like, well, one, I'm not trying to be overly blunt, but that's not a plan. That's a statement that you just gave me. Um, and that anything that all your assumptions in there, however long you think it's going to take you, multiply that by three. And however much you think it's going to cost you, multiply that by five because it's going to take way longer and cost way more to achieve your goals and you'd better strengthen your planning abilities right now. And she didn't like it. You know, she, she got mad and, and got her feelings hurt. And I'm going, I thought this is a mentor call, not a, like, I'm not your bestie. I'm not pinky swearing to love your plan or do whatever. I'm trying to give you honest feedback so you don't go broke while doing it. And by the way, self-financing this with the 10 K that you managed to save up over your three years in the Navy, not a good idea. So you have two kids and a husband, you need to really watch out for this stuff. So if you ask for advice, especially going on the entrepreneurial route, like take the advice on from us old graybeards that are trying to give it because we've been there and done it. And we're trying to make sure you don't do the same problems that we do well, because you're worthy of the ROI. Well, and it's going to be brutal, but you've got to be able to uh, to understand that yourself going in. Like you said, if you don't have thick skin, you don't understand that going in, then you're probably not going to be successful and you're going to lose your, lose your pants. And, and if you don't like it, just email me. My email is robert at <laughs> No way. <laughs> Uh, good stuff. Hopefully you guys got an opportunity to take something away off uh, out of this. I mean, return on investment is just a, a term that's used out here in the private sector, but it's something that everybody really should do in a self-assessment. And again, as leaders assessing other people, and if you're doing it in the right way, um, you can really benefit off of this because you're constantly challenging yourself to grow and find new ceilings all the time. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four MIL, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. Hey everyone, Robert here. I love supporting veteran-owned companies, and Mentors for Military recently partnered with Skeleton Optics to offer a 10% discount to our listeners. That's right, 10%. These aren't your regular run-of-the-mill sunglasses, by the way. The frames are handcrafted in Italy with Zeiss Vision lenses. Use the code MENTORSFORMIL or MENTORSTHENUMBER4MIL at SkeletonOptics.com and you'll receive your 10% discount automatically at checkout. Hurry up and get on over there to support a veteran-owned company.